Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 255. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. And today, I'm happy to be joined by Chris Wojcik. How's it going, Chris? Going pretty good, Steve. It's uh, it's very cool to be on this podcast, especially. I've done a lot of jiu-jitsu podcasts, but I don't listen to a lot of jiu-jitsu podcasts. But yours is one of the ones that I've listened to uh, several times. Thanks, man. That's awesome. I mean, it's also cool for me because flipping it around in terms of jiu-jitsu newsletters, yours is the only jiu-jitsu newsletter that I, I read religiously. So really happy to have you on here because I think that your newsletter especially is very well put together, but maybe that's as good a time as any for a quick intro. For those who don't know the name, why don't you just quickly tell everyone who you are and what you're all about? Yeah. So um, my name is uh, Chris Bojic. I'm a black belt under uh, Jeff Serafin. Um, I train out of the B team now in Austin, Texas. I trained out of Chicago for a very long time. I moved about three months ago. And, you know, when I was coming up in jujitsu and really trying to figure out a way to compete at a high level and also, you know, pay rent and feed myself, I ended up stumbling in the internet writing um and it started off as kind of doing freelance projects on the side writing about digital marketing and you know trucking and all these different things and then i started you know my own newsletter uh, focused on you know what i love most which is jujitsu and you know living the jujitsu life and so i started the grapplers diary about two years ago um and i've been writing that on substack or probably the free version has been about two years. The premium version has been around for about 18 months, uh, maybe a little less. And so that's, yeah, I, I compete and I train and I write. And that's pretty much all I do. So some people, that's a dream life, but yes, and luckily it's my life. So that's what I do. And that's what I'm about. I recently competed at the ADCC trials in Europe and I took third. I have placed in the ADCC North American trials as well. I took fourth place in 2020. Two. So I'm an active competitor and a writer. There's not too many of those in jiu-jitsu, but I'm, that's me. Nice, man. Yeah, I love your background there. I personally believe that the non-video aspect of communicating around jiu-jitsu is terribly underdeveloped. Um, the thing that everyone seems to think is if you want to teach someone jiu-jitsu via content, it has to be video. But we've always done exclusively audio here. And my feeling is that When you're doing video, yes, there are some things that can really only be communicated well through video, but video also has a tendency to just turn people into like monkey see monkey do puppets where they kind of just look at what's going on and they try to copy it. The thing I love about audio and the written word as well is you get to engage people on kind of a more intellectual level. You can make them think, right? People have to really understand what you're saying, and that can lead to deeper insights in a lot of ways. Talk to me just a little bit before we get into the topic of the day here. How's the writing going? And I'd love to know your experiences uh, as a fellow content creator in a related space. How are you finding that process of putting out a, a Substack newsletter and growing it and trying to segment between a free and a premium version? Yeah, I actually, I originally started writing in 2020, a site called medium.com. And I was, I had just graduated college um, and I wasn't really sure what the next thing was, you know, and I stumbled upon medium while researching, you know, ways to make money and ways to make money online. I was like, oh, I always like writing in school. I actually, in the COVID quarantine, because I graduated college in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. I wrote a first draft of a novel just for something to do because I was bored and at my parents' house and, you know, 22 years old and couldn't do jujitsu to really know what to do. So that was, you know, what I did when I was bored. And so writing was something I was always passionate about, but I never really saw a future for it until I started reading on media 
And then I said, oh, you know what? I'm going to give this a try. And I started writing on Medium. And after a while of writing on Medium, I found that all the best writers on that site had a newsletter. And so I was like, well, I need to start a newsletter. And so the first probably year of my writing was very little about jujitsu, pretty much at all. And I actually worked my way. They say, write what you know. And I was writing more about things I was experiencing and like life lessons and stuff like this, which ironically, I think at 22, I had very little to say about that, but I sure wrote a lot about it. And then I started writing the grappler's diary and then I started writing more about jujitsu. And then I ended up writing the grappler's diary on Instagram as well. And that's kind of a new thing that I've been doing. So the writing, it is weird trying to write about something in a world where like video is king and, you know, even myself, I have jujitsu instructionals, but I quite enjoy, you know, the process of trying to, you know, it's almost like a, a unique challenge. And Luckily for me, there are people who appreciate that challenge when it's done well. So it's something that I really enjoy quite a lot. Nice, man. Well, thanks for the intro. And as always, I'll put the links to all of that stuff in the show notes. If people haven't checked out your newsletter yet, I definitely recommend that. But let's get into the topic of the day here. We were talking earlier about um, just trends in jujitsu competition. And specifically, you talked about how you had been working, uh, how to blend judo and wrestling into jujitsu. Now, we've talked on the past before about judo and wrestling on this podcast, of course, but we never really talked about kind of the judo wrestling hybrid uh, that you sometimes see in jiu-jitsu competition. Of course, we just had a major who's number one card last night. Probably that won't be very topical for people listening because this is going to go out in a few weeks after. But why don't you just tell me just a little bit about your findings here and what excites you about this area of study? I first got really into the judo in jiu-jitsu just from watching online, watching all the foot sweeps and the like kind of simple throws that people were doing. Like not, you know, I never, when I was coming up, I thought of judo as like, this crazy like launching people and doing all this like high effort stuff. I heard about judo black belts having all these injuries and not being, you know, even able to really do jujitsu. And then as I have started to find, like I transitioned to pretty much exclusively no gi in about 20, late 2021. And I started watching, you know, like the content of the B team, uh, the new way content, you know, just competition footage and like noticing how like, this like low effort judo, like foot sweeps, especially, or, you know, like low effort wrestling, like slide bys, you know, duck unders and things that are not crazy, you know, don't require an extreme amount of athleticism. I started getting really into that because I found that as matches get longer, you know, you need to stay, you need to maintain like a consistent offensive output. I found that doing these like low effort, but still effective moves, foot sweeps, slide bys, duck unders. That's kind of how I started getting interested in the blend of judo and wrestling. Got it. Now, just from a pattern standpoint, maybe tell me about some of your findings here. Of course, if we're talking about who's number one specifically last night, we're talking about no gi and judo just looks totally different when you don't have the gi, right? There's so much of it that just doesn't apply or has to be modified what are your thoughts on kind of the state of the universe here in terms of how judo and wrestling fit together for jujitsu? Yeah. So I think the way that what makes judo and wrestling work together, a lot of it comes from the clench because I think that when we're far away from someone, we're doing a lot more wrestling, right? We're not really, you can't really throw someone when you're not attached to them. And then at the same time, when you are attached to someone, if you can't throw them, that's usually because their body weight is back. So in that situation, you would be going back to wrestling. So we're kind of blending throws that we would try in judo with like takedowns that we would do in wrestling. And part of it is the clench because when you have the clench, you're connected to someone, but their leverage, their body position is going to determine how you're going to attack them, right? So if someone is standing straight up, then you would maybe try takedown someone's weight is a little bit lower you might try a trip and so kind of the body position of your opponent is how i found um, that's been my experience and that's what my study has led me to do as well do you feel because you know when we talk about judo and wrestling we're usually talking about two very different approaches 
right? I mean, so much of judo is about getting Kazushi, loading up people onto your hips or going for foot sweeps. A lot of wrestling. I mean, there's a lot more to it, but generally you're kind of talking about like attacking the leg, going for a single or a double. Do you have any feeling one way or the other as to which of these pieces are going to be more effective for the majority of grapplers? I think I know the answer here, but does that change in a gi or a no gi context? I train pretty much exclusively no gi now. And I think that because I'm training pretty much exclusively now, uh, no gi now, wrestling tends to favor or to outweigh judos in like in terms of what kind of techniques I try because I don't have access to the grips for a lot of the judo throws. When you have a grip on someone, that makes it a little bit easier to initiate a, a clench, right? So when I have no gi and my partner is able to create distance a little bit easier, that's when I'm going to probably go back to uh, wrestling, which is kind of like that principle I was talking about a minute ago. Versus when we have the gi, we're able to kind of control our opponent. It's harder for them to kind of get away from you. So you're going to be closer to them most of the time. So that's kind of what I've found. As someone who's doing mostly no-gi, I think that it's a little bit more wrestling heavy. But in the gi, I think having the ability to pull out the wrestling is still very important. Just like I think in no-gi, having the ability to pull out the judo when necessary is very important. Now, from a pure technical standpoint, I mean, I think I have an idea of where you're going to go with this based on what we saw just last night. But from a judo standpoint, what would you say works and doesn't work in the jiu-jitsu context, especially when we're talking about no-gi? So I think that the foot sweeps work very well in jiu-jitsu part of that is everything gets sweaty the mats get slippery and you know it's harder to keep your balance as you get tired uh, at least that's been my experience i think that just to reference a match from last night andrew tackett versus pj barge i think we saw a lot of really good judo and jiu-jitsu or judo wrestling and jiu-jitsu all put together uchimata seemed to work pretty well i think that the bigger the throw the harder it is for it to be effective at a high level, you know, when you're evenly matched with an opponent. So I think a good example of this is you don't really see a whole lot of Ryagoshi when someone is like evenly matched with another. But I do see like, you know, foot sweeps to set up takedowns. That's a big one. Or, you know, like a, a hip throw to set up a snatch single or using like judo grips, like maybe like a an underhook or something like that with a more judo style stance as opposed to a low wrestling stance and using that to get in on your opponent's leg. And then from there, trying to initiate and create a, a jujitsu or a wrestling scramble. Yeah. You bring up an interesting point about techniques in judo with some of them being very high commitment. You know, you think of like sacrifice techniques, you brought up Harai Goshi, right? There's a lot of judo techniques that require you to load the person up entirely onto you and then flip them over your hip or something equivalent. And although those, they work, right? The main distinction between judo and jujitsu is that in judo, that can be a, a fight ending move right there. In jujitsu, the fight still goes on. And in fact, if you make a mistake, you expose pathways to your back, you can expose your neck. There's a lot of things that can go wrong if you do a big throw like that. And it gets even more complicated, like you said, in no-gi, where some of the grips that you might rely on just get challenging to do. Foot sweeps are great for that reason, because even if you don't get the foot sweep themselves... They're so low commitment, right? They kind of remind me of, um, I guess you could say they're kind of like a jab, right? You could throw them out there and yes, you do have to be careful to make sure your leg isn't grabbed and you don't get timed, but there's so much more lower commitment than a lot of the, the throws that I think people think of in judo, where you're basically loading up their whole body weight onto yours. That's where, like you said, things can go wrong. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, one person that I think that is really important to mention when we're having this discussion of putting wrestling and judo and jiu-jitsu together is Jay Flo out in San Diego. I was, and I was actually a last Monday, I was training with him when I was in San Diego and he's sort of been instrumental in he tried to adopt this style of like a judo wrestling hybrid. I actually come from a wrestling background. I wrestled in high school. I mean, not like I wasn't winning state championships or anything like that, but I was a solid high school wrestler. And now I'm having a really hard time using my wrestling against the guys who I'm training with. You know, I'm training at the B team, a lot of high level wrestlers in the room. And I'm sort of having to rely a bit more like kind of the kind of judo style of stand up. And I'm, you know, more counterfighting because guys are coming in trying to take me down more chumadas, more, 
you know, foot sweeps from far away, not because I want to take somebody down, but because I want to use the foot sweep to manage distance. And so the foot sweep, I definitely think though, as a jab, you know, if the guy is getting too close, I'll throw a foot sweep and maybe I take him down and I, you know, feel really good about myself. But at the very least, I, one, I have an offensive attempt, right? So if I'm thinking about a competition in the eyes of the referee, the foot sweep is an offensive attempt. I'm not stalling and going for a takedown. And also too, if he's going to counter the foot sweep, he's probably going to back away, which could open up weight on his head or I could attack the legs for a takedown or at the very least he just backs away and we're back to a neutral hand fighting situation so there's a lot of good that comes from the foot sweep it's I think I'm building kind of a entire offensive game around having the ability to just attack foot sweeps that is a, a very good insight I think I especially like that you pointed out that you don't even need to get the foot sweep for it to be valuable you can sit there and just use it as a jab to manage distance, and maybe even more importantly, to make your opponent think about the foot sweep, right? If they're focused on that, then that might be to the detriment of focusing on something else that you really want to do. So I think there's something to be said about it. I mean, unlike a lot of other takedowns, if you attempt a foot sweep and it doesn't work, you're probably going to still be in a neutral position. Whereas if you shoot a double or you go for a high impact judo throw, you're probably going to wind up turtled on the ground if it doesn't work or something like that. Yeah, definitely. And I think also too, I think that foot sweep is the essence of judo. Yes, the judo translates to English as like the supple way or like the gentle way or something like that. And what more gentle way than a foot sweep puts somebody out of the ground. So it's like the foot sweep is in my opinion, it's you, know, you get yourself in the top position, the more dominant position by doing as little work as possible. Whereas one of the downsides of wrestling is sometimes you'll do all this work with a big wrestling takedown or like a big judo throw is another good example, but you'll do all this work to try to get this takedown. And when you get on top, you're breathing heavy, you're tired, and now you have to deal with passing a guard of, you know, someone who's if they're not good at takedowns, odds are they probably have a better guard, right? So you're putting yourself in almost a dangerous situation. You're fatigued and in dangerous opponent's guard. Absolutely. Do you have any big guidelines around opponent types for foot sweeps? Do you find that they are preferable if you're the smaller person, the bigger person, any attribute considerations that you've discovered? I found the taller guys tend to be a little bit harder for me to foot sweep. I'm about 5'10", so I'm not short, but I'm not a taller guy, I would, wouldn't say. And I find that it's harder for me to use judo style techniques, whether it's foot sweeps, whether it's, you know, especially like hip throws. I don't really love doing those to guys who are taller than me. I don't find that it makes a huge difference if they're bigger. Like if someone is heavier than me, but relatively close in size, I find that I can still, you know, get a well-timed foot sweep on someone who's like, you know, I'm about, I weigh about 180 pounds. I could probably get a foot sweep on someone who's probably 210. I've been pretty close on guys who are in like 215, 230. But if someone is taller than me, I find that the foot sweep almost puts myself at a greater risk and I'll usually go to wrestling bet. That makes sense. It definitely jives with my interactions with judo as well. I mean, I am not an experienced judoka by any means, but one thing that I've always found is a lot of those throws that require leg involvement or leg extension, like uh, foot sweeps or uchimata or osotogari, I've always found that those are hard to do unless you've got a decent amount of leg length on your opponent. It just does get very hard to get in and close the space and get enough leverage with your leg if you can't make that connection. So I'm often the shorter guy, and I find that that is one consequence to foot sweeps. The other thing, too, of course, is presumably you have thoughts on this. You also don't want to be too predictable, right? Because trying a foot sweep once, maybe twice is fine. But if you're starting to get predictable, you have to now worry about your opponent timing you and grabbing that leg and wrestling you. Yeah, definitely. I think that in addition to avoiding being predictable in terms of like cadence, like, oh, whenever I step this way, throws the foot sweep. You should also have a variety of the different types of foot sweeps that you try. I learned this the hard way. I had a, an ankle injury a couple months ago, and so I wasn't able to throw my normal good foot sweep with my left foot that I like. So I had to start throwing foot sweeps with my other leg and I wasn't able to mirror myself. So I couldn't hit the same foot sweep with my right leg that I do with my left leg, but I was able to get a different variation of a different technique with my right leg. So like I would do an arm drag to a foot sweep with my right leg. And then I would do like a snap down to a foot sweep with my left leg. And that would be kind of an example of like two things that I would do from distance to kind of 
off balance my opponent while avoiding getting too predictable. And so, because you're right, if you make the mistake of like throwing the same foot sweep three, four times in a round, eventually your partner is going to catch on and your foot sweep is now, we have a thing that we're going to use to manage distance is now going to get us taken down. Got it. Now, with foot sweeps, there is one thing about a lot of stand-up techniques, but especially foot sweeps that kind of stand out to me, and that is the importance of timing and kazushi. And I bring this up because, honestly, you can get pretty good in jujitsu without being overly focused on timing, right? I mean, if you're talking about pure groundwork, there's a lot of things you can do that involve immobilizing the person and kind of doing things when you want to do them. But when you're doing stand-up, your ability to time your opponent, not just do a move correctly, but do it at the right moment, is often the thing that determines whether it's a make-or-break technique for you. Foot sweeps are a great example, right? In order to get a foot sweep, you need to make that foot light, you need kazushi, you need that to have them have that foot off the ground, or at least not have their weight planted on it. So I would want to know if you've got any tips, again, especially in nogi, for how to secure that kazushi and off-balance someone to make the foot sweep effective. You know, this actually, I think, comes back to kind of the magnum opus of this conversation, which is integrating wrestling with judo. I think that the best way to off balance someone when you don't have access to a gi is some sort of wrestling style grip, whether it's a snap down, an arm drag, collar tie, some sort of grip like that, where you're forcing them to react because they're going to get taken down so that the defensive reaction to getting taken down is going to give you the kazushi that you need more often than not in my experience got it yeah and we saw that last night as well right a lot of snap downs and i find that interesting because at first glance you know my thought always in nogi my one concern with doing a foot sweep is giving people access to your legs in the gi you don't need to be as concerned about this simply because you can counter grip, right? If I've got a good judo 50-50 grip on you, I can make it harder for you to, to catch my leg or I can make it harder for you to level change or I can punish you for doing so. Whereas in nogi, I've wondered what is to stop a person? I mean, if you've got a collar tie from just dropping levels and grabbing your foot, do you have any, any ideas on how to deny that, make it harder for people to do that level drop when you go for a foot sweep? Yeah. So I think that when you're training this style, like you need to be putting extremely heavy emphasis on hand fight, like a extreme, have extreme emphasis on hand fighting, because when you're hand fighting, this is going to give you kind of the like. When I started learning foot sweeps, I started thinking of it kind of like a dance a bit. And when you're hand fighting, you know, when you're doing it properly, you're removing pretty much all of the takedowns, right? So you're pretty much doing purely the dance of judo or wrestling or this like judo wrestle thing that we're working on now and, you know, in competition. And you need to put an extreme emphasis on the hand fighting so that you can get used to not putting yourself not having to count. When I overextend my leg, I think that most of the time I get myself put into trouble when I don't have some sort of offensive grip with my arm. So I like to do a foot sweep off of a Russian tie, off of an arm drag, off of having some offensive grip where it's not easy for my partner just to, you know, kind of just snatch it up or go for their own counterattack. So I'll try to grip and then I'll go for something. I think that if you're putting yourself in a situation where you're just going for the foot sweep as, you know, an offensive attack, like you're kind of full sending the foot sweep, you're going to struggle unless you're winning the grip fight. Yeah, absolutely. You know, something I have found very helpful, especially for just dealing with stand up is just doing drills that practice on the grip fighting. So rather than actually trying to do full stand up sparring with someone to try to execute a full takedown, just working on the grip fighting. And as soon as someone secures dominant grips that the other person can't easily get out of, you just reset and go back to normal. Because I agree with you completely, right? Pretty much any takedown strategy, whether it is judo or wrestling, or even frankly, like a standing jujitsu sweep it's going to require you to win the grip fight because that's what clears your pathway to the legs or whatever else you need to do the takedown. Yeah, definitely. When I was, and I don't, I haven't been doing this as much, but when I was training back in Chicago, the first 15 minutes of every training session was just hand fighting for free, you know, like three or four rounds. And then we would do wrestling drills separate from that. So our warm up was 
It's a nice way to warm up. If you're listening to this and you're like a coach and you're trying to think about structuring a session, I think about, I try to structure my Nogi sessions. I like to do a lot of hand fighting at the beginning because it's a good way to warm your body up. It's pretty low impact. It's kind of fun. It's, you know, more fun than your traditional like line drills. And also it's very important for like becoming more comfortable with the different takedowns that you might try. That's interesting. That's an interesting approach. So you guys, if I understand correctly, are you saying you kind of do this like line drills? No, no, no. So we'll do this in lieu of line drills. So like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before. I'm personally not a fan of line drills. It's funny. We just had this conversation uh, with my brother on the podcast recently. When you do line drills or traditional drills like that, you can wind up solving for the wrong problem, right? Because the art of shrimping your butt down the mat is very different from the art of shrimping to get out of a bad position, right? And so I think that something like doing stand, just standing grip fighting drills can be very, very helpful. For me, that was personally the thing that started to give me confidence in stand-up because just when I was trying to just do techniques as they'd been taught, of course, they never worked because I just wasn't able to get in close enough or, or get past the hands. But if you are good at grip fighting and good at getting Kazushi, the takedowns kind of just happen. Yeah, I actually, I taught a whole seminar recently just on grip fighting and wrestling without shooting. And it was, I think, one of the most helpful seminars for people of all levels, because I think that in the jiu-jitsu world, this is sort of a, uh, like not a lot of people are working on their grip fighting. A lot of schools, you know, now a lot of schools are teaching takedowns, which is a step in the right direction. But I think that the next evolution for jiu-jitsu schools is to put a heavy emphasis on grip fight. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when it comes to learning judo for jiu-jitsu, do you think that it is worth actually training judo in isolation? Or do you think that, especially given that we're talking no-gi, the context here only really makes sense and transfers if you're kind of doing it within the context of jujitsu? Basically, I'm asking, do you see a benefit in going and training the other art in its quote-unquote pure form, or do you prefer to train it in this hybrid setting where jujitsu is already involved? You know, it's funny. I was talking to my coach back home and he he flattered me and he said that I was the best judo white belt that he knows because I've never actually done a formal judo class. I've never been belted in judo or anything like that. But at the same time, it's like I've studied quite a bit of it. I've you know researched the history of it. I understand kind of a lot of basic concepts that are important in judo. The problem becomes that like competitive judo that we're seeing now, like on the Olympics, is very far removed from what judo used to be. And so I think that, but also too, I think that like it's such a different objective for what we're looking for in jiu-jitsu um, that I think that it's kind of the same as like, I don't go to very many wrestling training sessions anymore because I'm not really doing wrestling anymore and I'm not doing judo either. I'm doing, you know, this no-gi submission grappling where we need kind of both but at the same time i think that people having training partners who are you know legitimate judo black belts who understand judo or people who are legitimate high level wrestlers having those people around who have experience with the martial art you know in its pure form i think those people are immensely valuable for building an informed perspective of this like new thing that we're all kind of trying to create together It's an interesting discussion. I mean, I have been hearing variations of this discussion since I first got into jiu-jitsu, right? Which is, should you cross-train other martial arts or should you train a modified version that's integrated into what you already train? I mean, I remember a long time ago, people would always say that, look, if you wanted to be an MMA fighter, you needed to train jiu-jitsu in the gi. (laughs) I think that mindset has kind of evaporated a lot since then. I don't hear a lot of people making that claim anymore. And I do wonder, though, if there is any benefit to training these arts in their quote-unquote purest form. The one downside to training judo in a jiu-jitsu context is if you're ultimately just training jiu-jitsu and you're trying to focus on your judo, it is kind of easy psychologically to fall back onto your plan A, right? If sitting down and butt scooting and sweeping is always an option and you're more comfortable doing that, it's hard to deviate out of your comfort zone. So the one nice thing about cross-training another martial art in its entirety is they take away your comfort zone. So you kind of have to do the thing that you've been needing to develop. But the downside, of course, is you're learning what is fundamentally a different sport under a different rule set. 
And even though there is a lot of crossover, a lot more than people think between judo and jujitsu, they are still ultimately two different sports, right? So technically you're training for something else. And so I always want to get people's opinion on that and whether they see value in that kind of cross training with another martial art. I also think too, it depends on what are your goals as a grappler, right? Like if your goal is to learn as much as you possibly can about judo or wrestling, I would say then you should take the time to train those arts in an isolated setting. Um, you know, and I did wrestling for quite a few years and it was very valuable in terms of, you know, my jujitsu experience. And then when I was done, I kind of, I would go back and I would train, you know, a, a wrestling spot and I would go in like once or twice a week and wrestle. And then it got to the point where I was like, I'm trying to beat a wrestler in wrestling, even though I don't want to be a wrestler. And it was sort of becoming like this thing where I was like, not really getting what I wanted out of it. And uh, I think that you have to be careful about that. You know, you have to think about setting specific goals and your training or your, you know, whether you decide to cross train, you should, it should reflect those goals. Um, and then one final thing I think that, and you made a, a good point about this, like you need to get out of your comfort zone a bit because if you have the option to pull guard, you will always take that option. Um, and, you know, that's why I think it's really important to take you know, have isolated rounds and training where you're forced to work in your stand up and where the only thing that you, the butts couldn't get to is, you know, scored on or whatever that you lose in training or whatever. And you're forced to work on your weaknesses um, because I do think that it's a problem. And I, I've had this problem in the past where I'm like training in a room where a bunch of guys are better at wrestling than me. And I'm going to just sit on my butt because I'm, you know, I don't want to get taken down uh, when in reality you you should aim to aim to get taken down and that's what's happened. Yeah, yeah. That is one of the funny things about jujitsu is it is such a melting pot of other martial arts. There's so much that you can just add and bolt in from other sports. But because so many of us all started training the same kind of core jujitsu stuff, it does get way too easy to just live within your comfort zone completely. And I find this happens to me as well. You know, I'll get presented with a new and novel technique that maybe I haven't done before. And so I'm kind of a white belt at it. And man, it's just, it's so easy to just fall back on what you know you're a black belt at, <laughs> right? It, it is very, very hard, even if you're experienced, to just put aside the things that work for you and throw yourself into a situation where you're doing things that you're bad at because it's often not even a conscious thing, right? You just, I find sometimes if I'm not actively thinking about what I'm doing, I just gravitate towards doing the things that I'm most comfortable with, even without trying. That is one risk of getting more experience, right? Is you do tend to kind of get set in your ways and it gets harder and harder to actively open up your mind to try new things because you have to start deliberately closing the doors on the stuff that you're used to. That is a big one. Um, and I think that I experienced that directly with leg locks. I had a period in competition where I was leg locking just, you know, every single match I was winning by leg lock. and. I was on a, a bit of a tear. This was last summer. I was doing really well. Um, and I got some good wins by Lake Lock. And then I'm very, uh, I'm like sort of known on the competitive scene for this like Aoki Lock that I do. And I became so married to the Aoki Lock that I was missing out on so much in jujitsu. And I was like struggling to win matches eventually because, you know, my opponents knew what I was going for and I wasn't taking what they were giving me i was going for what i wanted to do and so i think that and that can happen with you know trying to do a foot sweep you become tunnel vision on trying to get this certain foot sweep or you know a takedown of some kind or whatever it is i think that as jujitsu becomes this like more of a, a melting pot uh, you know as you put it i think we need to make sure that we're focusing more on the technique that works not the technique that we want to do now hey let's pivot a bit here we talked about foot sweeps and we talked about judo especially for no gi but let's say that i'm in that situation you described i'm going up against someone who's like two feet taller than me and there's no way i'm going to get my judo game off how do you kind of seamlessly integrate that with wrestling i would also ask when we talk about wrestling what does that mean to you because something that i've kind of become sensitive to over the last while is that wrestling is not necessarily this big all or nothing label when people talk about wrestling they're sometimes talking about pieces of it or aspects of it and so i think it's always worth clarifying what we mean here when we talk about this uh yeah so when i think about wrestling i tend to think about things like 
flybys, duck unders. I, it's funny, like I did the fireman's carry a lot in wrestling and now I've learned the fireman's carries from judo. So I think of, it really is like judo and wrestling are so closely related that sometimes that we can get a little bit caught up in the weeds of like, which is which. But I tend to think of wrestling, I think about moves. Like if you watch like the college wrestling NCAA championships or whatever, you'll see single legs, you'll see slide buys, you'll see duck unders. You don't see a ton of foot sweeps. That doesn't mean that you don't see them, but that's usually what I think of when I think of wrestling. Yeah. You know, I used to think of wrestling as basically blast singles and blast doubles, but recently, and especially as I get older, I've opened my mind up to a lot of more lazy wrestling, just going for really low singles and really low doubles. And I kind of like those in some capacity because in jujitsu, a lot of the time you're already on the ground anyway. And I just find that if I'm already on the floor, transitioning to a low single for me anyway, as a lazy old bastard is a lot easier than actually expending the energy to get up to my feet. But I would definitely want to pick your brain about this. I mean, when we're talking jujitsu here, are there, what does in your mind does a good single or a good double look like? Like how would you go about attacking this in a way that keeps you safe and also allows you to blend in with this kind of holistic game where you're, you're kind of blending aspects of this with judo, with jujitsu and with wrestling? Yeah. Okay. So when I'm thinking about a good double leg, I'm usually trying to put my partner on their butt. A good double leg is akin to like a tackle almost. It's a technical tackle, basically. We're driving into a partner. We're trying to, I like to lock my hands now. That's kind of the style of double that I'm playing with, where I'm locking my hands right below like your partner's butt. And you're kind of trying to grab like your own wrist with one of your hands. Makes it very difficult for your partner to sprawl. It's more of an explosive takedown. So I think that not everyone is capable of doing a really proficient double leg unfortunately for me like i've had some success with double legs i had a, a double leg that i hit in competition um last year in an adcc rolls match and i'll hit it every once in a while but i'm more of a, a single leg guy um, and when i'm doing the single leg usually my goal is to take my partner's back off of the single leg so i'm trying to work towards a standing rear body lock i think that it's really hard and i'm also just not the best like running the pipe or just putting someone down like, easy off of a single leg. I think that the best thing that to do is to get your single leg and try to create angles and start working towards your partner's back. That makes a lot of sense, honestly. I also prefer the single leg. I mean, one nice thing about the single leg is if we're already talking about foot sweeps, there's kind of a natural synergy between foot sweeps, ankle picks, and a single leg, right? A double at least from my experience, and again, I am not a wrestler, but it kind of requires you to really be committed and to shoot in deep. And I'm often hesitant to do that. I just don't want to get squished under a person. I don't want to wind up in a bad position. I like with singles how, again, it's not as low commitment as a foot sweep, but with singles, you have an easier bailout option. Um, I also agree with you about running the pipe. I mean, it works. I've done it, but I often find that there's easier and more economical ways to get a person to the floor. Or like you said, if you want to get to their back, there might be a completely different approach approach that you want to take. Yeah, I think I do more single legs, but I just, there's something about hitting a clean double leg that is, it's deeply fulfilling. It, it, you feel like impressive, you know, when you do a, like Jordan Burroughs, for example, I love watching Jordan Burroughs hit double legs. Unfortunately, I can't do all the things that Jordan Burroughs does. Um, I wish I could, but I end up doing more single legs, especially against better opponents um, and people who are also too, I guess your partner's stance tends to play into affect what you do. But like most of the time for me, I end up doing single legs and working towards the back. I think that also too, you're right. There are other ways that you can put your partner down that I didn't talk about. I have put such a heavy emphasis on trying to get to the back um, because mostly because a lot of the training that I do is for ADCC rules. And one big caveat of ADCC rules that impacts the way that you wrestle is that turtle is not points, right? So in a traditional rule set, you're going to get different looks than you would in an ADCC rule set because guys are going to concede the turtle a little bit easier. And so because they give you the turtle easier, most people tend to work towards the turtle in their single line. Yeah, yeah. Funny you bring that up. Listeners of this podcast will know I am a hardcore turtle enthusiast. I love turtle. I think it has been slept on as a jujitsu position for way too long. And I think the reason why is primarily artificial. I think it's simply because IBJJF rules, they reward guard sweeps, but they don't reward turtle the same, right? You're not going to get two points if you quote unquote sweep someone from turtle. And so I think as a result, people have steered away from a position 
that has always been a fundamental part of wrestling. I mean, yes, people will give the argument that in a street fight, you don't want to go to turtle. Well, you know what? Like 90% of jujitsu positions, you don't want to go to in a street fight. You don't want to be in guard in a street fight. You don't want to be in a lot of those positions in a street fight. So all the same, I would rather understand how to fight out of those positions and have no idea how to do that. And yeah, I think that one of the nice things about turtle, especially from a wrestling perspective, is this is where you do find access to get to a single leg, to get to a double leg, often winds up looking different from if you were standing, of course, because usually you're going for more of a low single or you have to start low and then stand up. But again, a beautiful example of how to chain those together. I also agree with your assessment about how there is just something innately satisfying about doing a double in a way that a single leg doesn't have. I mean, when you do a single leg, it kind of looks like when you're, you know, if you've got a kid, when you got a toddler, you come home and they wrap their whole body around your leg and try to slow you down, <laughs> right? That's what a single leg is like. It's like a slow drag where you kind of pull the person down. But a, a good double, it's like watching a plane take off or something. It's just innately satisfying. It's something a double will always have over a single leg. I think that the point that you made about turtle, it's worth, I think, rehashing or revisiting because I think that turtle is one of the most important positions in nogi jiu-jitsu today. Every single day at training, we do, you know, where we were before we were getting ready, before we were getting ready for trials, we were doing 10 minute rounds every day. And now we're doing uh, six minute rounds to prepare for trials. But the we, every day was 10 minute rounds from the turtle because the turtle position is like you need to be able to one, escape there if you get put there. And two, when you are, you know, given the opportunity to be so close to someone's back, you need to know how to either pin or, you know, take the back and secure a submission from there. So it's like the turtle is such an important position in modern jiu-jitsu, um, both gi and no gi, but really in the no gi ADCC world, a lot of emphasis is being placed on the turtle. Yeah. And this is where I actually am very thankful. Uh, the rise of the ADCC has led to some alternate perspectives on just the rule set changing, right? I think that traditional gi jiu-jitsu was starting to solidify a bit in its rule set to the point where things that have always been a part of combat sports were just getting discouraged. So yeah, I think seeing wrestling and turtle reemerge as a valid position is very good. And turtle is a powerful takedown strategy. But like you said, you have to be really good at it because if you don't play turtle a lot, it is fucking exhausting to be stuck in turtle if you don't have that practice. Like maybe more so than doing stand-up. You know, jiu-jitsu people always say stand-up is tiring. Well, that's because they're not used to it. Well, getting stuck on bottom turtle for 10 minutes, if you're not used to it, is exhausting. And so that's another reason to practice from that position, right? Because you don't just want to sit there. You want to be able to launch into some kind of reversal or way to get to the top position. And that usually is going to require some energy expenditure if a person is just kind of floating on top of you while you're down there. Yeah. Another, you know, it's funny. So for me, like I'm a big leg locker. I do a lot of leg locks. That's kind of, as I said, I've sometimes got been caught in the trap of doing too many leg locks, but now kind of what I'm working on is looking for the leg locks from the turtle because it's so hard against really good opponents to just enter, whether it's the false reef or the K guard or single leg X or you know, whatever sort of leg entry you do. Against a high level passer, it's very difficult to just enter the legs easily. So part of what I've been doing is like shooting and then off of my shot, then looking for my leg from a different angle as they made me start to cut towards the back. Because as they cut to the back, they're kind of stepping their legs towards you. So that's something that I've been working on a lot is leg locks off the turtle because and then, you know, that point that you made about trying to come on top off the turtle at the end, that was what got me thinking about that. Um, because I think that it's, it's, you know, getting out of the turtle is great, but if you could find a way to attack from there, that's even better. Yep. Yep. Somewhere in Estonia, Preet Mikkelsen is losing his mind right now, hearing us talk about attacking from the turtle. But yes, you're absolutely right. The there's a lot of downsides to being stuck in turtle, but one of the advantages is that because you're so low, if your opponent closes in on you, there are a lot of opportunities to get at their legs, um, whether it be for a single, a double. 
some sort of weird entanglement. I mean, I've even done weird modified kind of waiter sweep type things from there, because if you get the person's leg and you turn it in the wrong direction, then they're just going to fall over. So I think people do sleep on turtle as an offensive position. I'm definitely not suggesting that wrestlers and everyone out there should just immediately turtle in competition. Uh, But that said, I think that people need to start thinking of it less as a defensive position and more as an opportunity to transition back to an offensive position. Yes, definitely. I think that there's a lot of potential in the turtle. And I think that in order to get to the, like, to see the full potential of the turtle position, uh, I think that, like you said, you know, we don't want to advise people to just start turtling. But I think that in order to really see all that the turtle position has to offer, you first have to kind of master the basic escapes from there. So as you grow in the turtle and get really good at escaping and avoiding submissions, then you're going to also start to find counterattacks. You know, just like kind of from the guard, like when you first start playing guard, most of us are just trying to survive. And then over time, you know, you're not just trying to survive. You're also looking for your own offense, ways to get on top or ways to submit somebody. Now, Here's what I want to ask you, right? When we talk about blending judo, wrestling, and jiu-jitsu together, man, that's a lot of martial arts to learn, right? Most people out there are struggling just to learn one, and now we're asking them to learn two more. You've put a lot more time and effort into studying this than most of us ever will. <laughs> uh, myself, I'm a, you know, I'm a jiu-jitsu hobbyist, right? So my time is very limited, and often the most valuable thing that people can do for me is kind of point me in the direction of what I should be studying or working on. So I would want to know, just from what you've seen out there, if someone wants to start adopting this into their game, if they are a traditional meme jujitsu player where all they can do is fight off their back, right? And they realize, you know what? I should probably learn to walk upright like a real human being and I should learn to do takedowns. If you're that person and someone wants to start blending in judo and wrestling, where would you send them to to really get going and go from zero to one? Yeah, it's funny. I think that my answer has changed a bit on this before i really thought that i would you know because i was training jay flow and i love jake flow um he's a great guy an incredible coach but i think that one of the problems that i think that he runs into is that he's a very high level grappler he works with very high level grapplers and i think that a lot of people will just go look at instagram and they'll be like oh look at this super cool throw or this super cool takedown that i see someone doing that's what i want to do you know whether it's you know, coming from B team or whatever you see online, all of this stuff is coming from like super high level guys. And it's not really broken down at a, a beginner level. So before I kind of would have told people to watch videos online because that's what I did. But the reality is if you have no experience with takedowns, I think that watching and trying to emulate the best guys in the world doing takedowns is going to you know, it's going to frustrate you and it's going to make it a bit harder to kind of get from zero to one. So I would say really basic wrestling stuff is what you need to be learning. Like learn how to grip fight, learn how to have a good stance, learn how to be able to stay in a good stance for several minutes, learn maybe one shot, learn, you know, how to do a basic foot sweep, not even to trip someone just to use it as kind of a a guide or like a distance management tool. And then when you start feeling more comfortable on your feet and more confident, that's when we can start maybe training some of the stuff that we're seeing guys online or, you know, the duck unders or whatever you're seeing online that you want to learn. Something that maybe you think is going to apply to your game nicely. And the other thing that I would say is watch people who are built like you. So this requires a bit of self-awareness, right? You need to think like, you know, what is this grappler? Do I like watching? What is his you know, Bill, what is his size? What does he like to do? You know, don't try, like for me to try to do what Mighty Mouse does or someone like that is, you know, not super productive for my time or try to do what Nicky Rod does. You know, instead I try to watch guys who are my size. That's kind of where I would say to start. Yeah. Something that I wish every instructor would begin kind of from day one talking about, which is just an acknowledgement that we are all different. Jiu-Jitsu is a very personal experience and just because one person is able to have success doing one particular thing doesn't mean it's going to translate. So I think you're absolutely right to look for people who have similar body types, but also similar games and goals and styles to you as well. Man, I used to train under a coach who played a whole bunch of very gi and lapel based guards, uh, like spider guards and lapel guards, which just were not my thing. I've never liked them. And when I started training instead more with people who do kind of like lazy low wrestling, which is what I really like, 
it was like light bulbs went off in my head. Suddenly people were speaking my language and these were techniques that just naturally resonated more with my style and my body type. So I think that that's an important thing for people to understand is, you know, there is no one coach who's going to be perfect for everyone. Everyone has a different jujitsu experience. And that means you're going to have to learn a little bit differently too. I've trained, you know, pretty much all over the United States. I've trained in Europe. I've trained like we have trained with JFlow. I've trained at the B team. I've trained, I've done a few classes with John Donaher. I've trained with, uh, I've trained quite a bit with Dante Leon, who is out of Toledo. And so I've trained like all over the place with all these different coaches and they showed me a lot of different things. And I probably use, you know, an embarrassingly small percent of what I've learned. So, you know, I've learned a lot and I've put in a lot of time. But the amount of things that I'm actually able to apply to my game are way smaller than I think most people realize. And part of that is because, you know, there are things that I'm not able to do because of injuries or things that I'm not able to do because I haven't put in the time with them yet or because skills take a while to develop. So I think that it's great to train and learn from all these different people. But I think that at the end of the day, it's like you really... If you just take a few things from different people, that's kind of going to start to apply that to your own game. And then you build your own game. And then maybe one day you're able to show that to somebody else and the cycle kind of continues. Yeah. And I think you wisely bring up there too, that you don't need to know everything. People often have jujitsu guilt where they feel like they don't know nearly as many techniques as they should. I mean, look, the reality is people who are really good at jujitsu tend to only do a few simple things over and over again. It's not that they necessarily have this bag of 10,000 techniques that they pull out of and they can do whatever they want whenever. Usually they're trying to just take the game back to the few things that they know they're really, really good at and comfortable with. I mean, in judo, talking about judo, they even have this concept, right? They call it Takui Waza. Uh, the idea being you've got a, a signature technique, or if you're a pro wrestling fan, you got a finishing move, right? The idea is that you've got almost 70 techniques in the judo canon, but most high-level judoka, they really only use two or three of them that they pick out for themselves. And I think that's a, a lesson for jujitsu people as well, that you don't need to be amazing at everything. You just need to know what your thing is and how to force people to play that game with you. Yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, and that's also too, why you'll see like different athletes will thrive under different rule sets or like jujitsu. That's also why like jujitsu math doesn't work, right? Like, because some guy might be really good, like, you know, I'm trying to think about like an example, like there'll be like someone who like, maybe I'd be, you know, so-and-so and I lose to another guy. And the reason isn't because, but then maybe the third guy, the guy who I'd be will lose to the guy who I lost or will be the guy I lost. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's not some simple math formula where you can just tell who's better just by looking at stat sheets and fight records. And that's like one of the first things that my jiu-jitsu coach, Jeff, back in Chicago, one of the first things that he ever taught me, he's a, a brilliant jiu-jitsu mind in my opinion. I think that he's, you know, the best kept secret in the Midwest. But one of the first things that he ever told me when I was at Blue Belt is just simply st styles make having the best style you know, having this style doesn't mean that you're going to win. It means that you could win if you, you know, get all, get the match to this part where you're really good and you, you don't go against the one guy who's really good at defending your thing. And, you know, there are obviously exceptions to this. Like, you know, Gordon Ryan is a good example. I don't, I can't seem to find a weakness on his game. But, you know, this, for most of us who are doing shit, so we have weaknesses and we have strengths. And the way that we have the way that we win is by getting the match to a place where we're strong. Yeah. And I would say another thing to consider too, we've had a lot of people bring this up, uh, specifically someone who comes to mind is Lachlan Giles has talked about this. Whatever your quote unquote signature moves are, whatever your strong suits are, you want to make sure that you've got a way to tie them together and chain them together. And this especially comes up if you're talking about blending in like high takedowns with low takedowns with guard work. You need to make sure that whatever your game is and whatever all of your strong suits are, that there's an easy way to transition between all of them. Right. For example, if you are a foot sweeper, right, if you want to work on foot sweeps, maybe you'll also find that something like Dele Hiva Guard works well for you, too, because it's relatively easy to move in from a failed foot sweep into something like that. Or similarly, if you like um, instep guard, right, you'll probably find that low singles work really well because they're right there. What you don't want is where you choose 
a takedown that just does not blend with your jujitsu at all. So if you get a takedown, you don't know what to do from there, right? Or similarly, you don't want jujitsu where you don't have an easy way to get back on top, right? If you don't have good sweeps or takedowns from that position, that's something you need to deliberately think about is how do all of these puzzle pieces fit together and how can I use them to chain from where I am to where I want to go? Yeah, I think that, you know, one thing that I always tried to do in drilling is, you know, and I don't drill as much as I used to, but whenever I'm trying to add something new to my game, I try to think about where is this new technique? How does this fit into what I already do? Because if I'm just adding something that I learned because it's cool, I end up having a bunch of like, I end up having a bunch of tools, but I don't have a tool belt, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And if there's one thing I learned from Batman, it's that you need to have a utility belt. You absolutely must. <laughs> it's essential. Yeah, I think that, you know, especially when it comes to wrestling, because grip fighting and wrestling, everything that you do kind of works together. So like one thing that I'm trying to add right now, this is not something that I'm good at, but I'm trying to add duck unders to my game. I do a pretty good slide by, I have some good foot sweeps. I like you know, I have some good takedowns, but I have never had a duck under in my whole career. I've never really done it well. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find certain grips that I'll use to set up my slide by or my, my foot speed. And I'm trying to look for duck unders off of those. That's kind of an example of a way that I would try to build add a new technique to my game with what I already have. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? You've kind of inspired me because I too have never been great at duck unders, but I've always loved them. And every time I drill or train them, I always come out of it thinking, you know what? I really love this idea. And then I just never apply it. So I think the lesson is I need to start deliberately focusing on that. <laughs> so thanks for the reminder, Chris. Yeah, I think that's a valuable thing. Just like one thing I try to do a lot is when I watch things, I pursue the technique that looks satisfying. And I know that's not always like the most effective thing to do, but it, it makes me, I feel like I'm always, I'm a perfectionist in my drilling when I'm drilling something that I think is going to look pretty when I hit it. You know, that's why I really was into slide buys for a while because I thought that a good slide by was very pretty. I was really into drilling foot sweeps because a good foot sweep, when they fall right over, it looks very nice. Um, we already talked about the double leg. The double leg was, I think, one of the first takedowns that I was working on. I really wanted to have hit a clean double leg and, you know, a competition. And so I think that just having like following your curiosity with stuff that you drill, especially stand up stuff, which people kind of have an aversion to anyway. I think that that's really important is doing things that are you know, enjoyable. And we don't talk about that enough in trading. Absolutely. Absolutely. People seem to look at jujitsu through this almost clinical lens of, you know, how can I micro optimize every aspect of my training and how can I choose which technique is going to be the right one for me? But honestly, the answer is that sometimes the technique chooses you. I have certainly had this experience. I'm sure, Chris, that you have as well. And I'm sure that most of our listeners have, where sometimes you see a new technique or strategy and you just know, like even before you start doing it, you just know this is the one for me. This one is definitely going to work for me. And you just kind of fall in love with it. Um, and I always encourage people to lean into that, right? Because jujitsu is an art of, of self-expression. There's more to it than what statistically works at the highest levels. Sometimes you're an anomaly and something might just work for you that simply doesn't work for anyone else. Yeah, for sure. I think that's like, I think one of the coolest parts about jujitsu is just this like customizable effect that you, like this customizable aspect that we have now, especially because of like the internet, you know, like. My coach coming up, he was not a wrestler. You know, he did not. I mean, he knows how to wrestle. He could show like someone off the street, you know, some basic things about wrestling. But if I wanted to learn wrestling, I had to go on the internet. Or if I wanted to learn lapel guard, which was my thing when I was a purple belt, you know, I had to go online and do that. So now we have this resource where we can kind of build our own game based on what we want to do, what we find interesting or what feels right to you because that like I don't even know how to what word would be used to describe that sort of sensation when you feel like a technique has chosen you but that is definitely something that I pursue a lot when it comes to trading yeah awesome man well I can't thank you enough for coming by I can't thank you enough for putting out such an awesome newsletter any closing thoughts Chris before we tie this one up and also if people do want to sign up for your newsletter how do they go about doing that yeah. Okay. So we'll start with the newsletter. So the easiest way to get signed, there's two ways to get signed up for my newsletter. First way is you can download my free ebook, which is called 15 ways to get better at jujitsu faster. And it sort of details the process that I use to go from kind of a, like a, a brown belt who was okay to placing in the ADCC trials in about, you know, it was about nine months that I shifted my training perspective. And then I started 
you know, operating this way. And then I started having really peak competition results. So I wrote an ebook about that process. And if you sign up for the ebook, you can read the ebook and you will automatically be added to my newsletter. Or if you just want to read the newsletter and you don't care about the ebook, you can just go to Substack, um, The Grappler's Diary on Substack. I think a few closing thoughts that I'd like to make. Uh, I think that this was a really important conversation because this is something that I think a lot of people see when they watch high-level jujitsu, but I don't think that we talk nearly enough about this sort of aspect of the game, which is like the blending of styles that is happening in submission grappling today. You know, we always say, oh, everything is jujitsu, like, who's number one is a jiu-jitsu event, but it really who's number one is a submission grappling event that had jiu-jitsu. There was elements of catch wrestling. There was judo. There was someone probably stole from Sambo. Like, you know, jiu-jitsu today is becoming this like mixed submission grappling. And I think that it's really cool to both watch and to be a part. Of. So that's kind of my thoughts on everything that we talked about today. I agree, man. I am not notorious for following the competition scene closely, but even I have noticed in the last few years, there has been a significant evolution in jujitsu. It feels like a lot of the things that were kind of considered traditional that we had moved away from are kind of coming back now. I mean, even just last night, like seeing Gordon go for foot sweeps and just sitting there and play that kind of stand up game. It's kind of refreshing to see this convergence and all of these old ideas get life again. Um, but man, Chris, thanks so much for coming by. As always, I'll put the links to your stuff in the show notes. Like I said, I've been a subscriber to Chris's newsletter for some time. I definitely recommend it. I mean, I know that everyone and their dog is getting a hundred emails from BJJ fanatics and everyone else, but Chris really puts a lot of effort into making his unique, actionable, personable, and perhaps most important, actually fucking readable because a lot of newsletters are just random rambling. But Chris, yours is always very digestible, which I appreciate. So I'll put all of those links in the show notes. I'll also put a link to our stuff. Everything is at bjjmentalmodels.com. So there is the spoiler if you want to grab our stuff. All of the episodes of the podcast, um, our newsletter as well is on there. That's also how you sign up for a premium service. So if you want access to uh, what I believe to be the world's largest audio library of jujitsu courses on strategy, concepts, mindset, tactics, that's what you'll get there. You'll also get direct coaching from literally some of the best black belts in the world. Our coaching team includes, for example, Brianna St. Marie, uh, Dominica Oblanite, Josh McKinney, Margot Ciccarelli. So you too can have those people directly give you feedback on your game. Probably you're going to get a level of depth that you're just not likely to get at the gym every day. So that's an amazing supplement. And then you also get access to our community, tons of other premium podcasts. Um, I'll spare everyone the whole rant, but if you haven't already checked it out, please do go to bjjmentalmodels.com and at least take a look at premium seven day free trial so you can check it out at no risk um, but chris man thanks so much for coming by really appreciated this talk and as a longtime fan of your newsletter it was great to finally connect in person as well yeah thank you steve thank you so much for having me on this was a lot of fun uh wish you again absolutely you're most welcome sir you have a good night and same to everyone else have a good time and we'll talk to you next week see you soon